0: We're so glad that you joined us today for this podcast from Bishop Quentin Moore and the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas. God loves you and wants the best for you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Share your story with us by sending an email to mystory@fathershouse.net. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at fathershouse.net slash give. Just select the option that works for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. This morning, with uh, I have intentionally chosen to do what I'm going to do today um, because I want to get you to look again at a couple things. Last Sunday afternoon, as we were closing, I talked to you about the word respect. I remember? Yeah. To re- respect means spectacles, to re- respect means to relook, look at something again. And out of the book of Acts and out of John this morning, you can see that Saul had to look again, Who is that in that cloud? Who is this that has stopped me on the road? And Jesus had to say, "I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting." Uh, it's kind of interesting because Paul or Saul was persecuting the church. He was hurting the church. And Jesus took offense to that and said, "Whatever you do the church you do to, me, we oftentimes hear the Bible when it says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can I say something? If you see the church, you've seen Jesus. So, those of you that are always tearing down the church, let me just tell you that He's liable to stop you and knock you off your donkey, too. Um, okay, uh, but it's easy to not see who Jesus is, and then here's Peter, the chosen disciple of God. He's out there fishing. He doesn't even recognize who it is and has to have John tell him it's the Lord. It's easy to miss sight of who the Christ is. Mary in the garden thought he was a gardener. The two men on the road to Emmaus thought he was just a traveler. Thomas didn't know who he was. It's not uncommon for people who know Jesus not to recognize him as the Christ. Jesus, the son of Mary, but Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. There is a distinctive difference. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a new name, a modifier. And so that when he is raised from the dead, Peter says, thou hast made him to be Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that breaks every yoke, destroys every burden, fixes every problem. The difficulty is, particularly on a post-Easter Sunday, as hundreds of people stay home this morning, on a post-Easter Sunday, we think we know the story and we, we fail to look again. We fail to respect and to maybe take another look and see if there is more there than what we have previously discerned being there. And that is so hard for Christians to do because we know everything. We just think we've got it all figured out. And we, but Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. Say the power of God. The gospel, the good news of the Christ. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Christ. Say the Christ. Thou art the Christ. Who is it? It's the Christ. Who are you? I am the Christ. Who, it's the Christ, the Messiah. The one that destroys every yoke, moves every mountain. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Christ, for it is the power to everyone who believes. The good news, just the announcement, just the news. Not Oral Roberts, not your Mima, not some dude over there in a slick suit on an airplane. But the gospel of the Christ has the power. To heal diseases and raise the dead and stop the sun, the power of the gospel. The difficulty, I believe, today is that we've allowed the gospel to be so watered down and we've become so familiar to it that we reduce it to something far less than it truly is. Can I get an amen? And so how then do I, as a lowly pastor who gets to talk to you 52 times a year if I don't take a vacation, and and if you don't take a vacation, I get on the average about 31 times a year to speak to you. And I'm charged to disciple you, because God knows I'm not going to get anybody to come three or four times a week. And and if I started a school, nobody would show up. So I get about 30 times a year to try to tell you the story of the good news. And if we get some Bible studies going, and we get past the cheesecake, and we get past the Kool-Aid, and we get past the social requirements, we might get a 10-minute, and God knows what book it'll come out of. Are you hearing the commensuration of a 35-year So, I got to use the time I got to try to move this a little further. And what I'm about to do this morning, I did not dream up. I caught it from an Orthodox priest several years ago, and other people have done it. But the reason it caught my attention is out of a question I begin to ask of what does the gospel of Christ look like? What is the genuine, pure, authentic, good news, the announcement that Jesus came to make? What is this gospel of Christ? Is it just an event that happens on Golgotha when Jesus dies on the cross? Is it just a transactional event that took place back there 2,000 years and now because he did that, cha-ching, we get this? Is that what it is? I don't think so. I think that we are called to live in a transcendent way above the things of this world, transcending the problems of this world like an eagle that can mount up on wings of eagles. I think we're supposed to transcend the trials and troubles and the traumas of this life and be transformed into the likeness and the image of God so that just as he is the light of the world, we become the light of the world. That just as he was the incarnation of the Christ, that the body of Christ begins to reveal the Christ himself. And I think that what has to happen is that many times we have to look at those things that we have just accepted and that in some small way become just ingrained in our thinking and we have these ideas that are subconscious to us and we think that's just the way it is. And I'm going to read from Psalm 22 because in Psalm 22 there is this powerful statement that you hear... And when you hear it, you go, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of explained a certain way and you buy it. And it's Psalm 22 where it says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Everybody know who that, you know that verse. And so we, we buy from that, this idea that God, the father forsakes God, the son. We, we buy that. And the truth of the matter is, is Christ would have said the entire Psalm, not just a sentence or two and that it begins by my God my God why hast thou forsaken me and have you ever been in a moment when you just thought this was bad have you ever been in this moment that everybody was against you you just thought God was he didn't he didn't get you the pink Cadillac or the girl in the skinny jeans or the job from God knows where I, I don't know but have you ever felt like God had left you alone and so you're going my God what is going on? And, and we've taken, we've made an entire theology out of that one sentence. But I want to read to you the next verse. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. All of you that have trouble praising God, I want you to know that what enthrones God is your praise. And your praise is not what goes on in your heart. In you are fathers trusted. Say with, with me, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Say delivered. Jesus is hanging on the cross saying this doesn't feel right, but our fathers trusted in you and you have delivered them. Say he does deliver them. They cried to you and were rescued and in you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now that's a little different than, oh my God, why have you forsaken me and now God's against me? This story gets bigger and better than what it has once been indicated. Verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Say he did not despise. He didn't do it. Isaiah 54 said, we despise him. Here it says God didn't do it. And the last part of that verse, and he has not hidden his face from him, but heard it when he cried. We have been told that basically God turned his back on the son. That's impossible because God is one and they can never be separated within the Godhead. God, the father is not pitted against God, the son. But if you believe that and take that, it diminishes the gospel because you never know when the father's going to run out on the son. And many of you have been raised with fathers that I know. This is very, very hard to believe. But in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things that were made were made by the Word. First of all, you have to get this. Number one, God is like Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus Jesus. is like God. God is like Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. The I and the Father are the same. And the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Say with me, God, God. the Father, was in Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. So they are not two separate beings, this being the Son, this being the Father. They, they, They are all one. Can we just say they're all one? they're all one the father the son and oh what's his name the father the son oh the holy spirit that that dude's not allowed in half the churches but you know the one we are scared of because he's going to sing like gas casper you know Uh, god the father god the son they're one jesus is like god so god is in him reconciled every time you see jesus heal god is healing Every time Jesus is feeding, God is feeding. And if, if God is like that when Jesus is here, can I just tell you God is like this when he creates the world? God is like this when he delivers Moses. God is like this when he finds Abraham and David and Solomon. He's like this in Malachi. He's like this because the Bible says, I change not. Say with me, he is like Jesus and he never changes. So, if you think God acted one way one day and one way the other day, that's a lie. God has the same day every day. In fact, He never sleeps, He never slumbers, He never takes a nap. If God is mercy and He is love, He is always mercy and He's always love. He's never going to wake up one day and slap the snot out of you. Never. Yeah, but I've been told. That's why I'm here. It's to tell you they lie. Are you here? say with me, God is like Jesus. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he self-proclaims himself and says, I am light. I am love. I am life. I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the beginning and the end. Say with me, he is who he says he is. He is love. He doesn't have love. He can't ever run short on love. If he ever operates contrary to being love, he cannot be God. It's just who he is. Right? He just just is who he is. He can't help himself. If the prodigal son asks for an inheritance, he's going to give it to him. If he asks for ice cream with sprinkles, he's going to give it to him. His mother's going to be standing and going, no, 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 don't give him another. And God's just going to say, yes, yes, yes. He I want to grow up and be just like him. <laughs> you didn't hear it. And the Bible is full, filled with all kinds of things that he loves with an everlasting love. That his love never fails, never runs out, never gives up. That his love never looks at what you can see, but looks at the heart. That that love is absolutely life-changing. Am I making any sense? Say with me, Jesus, Jesus. is like God. God is like Jesus. They are love. They never change. In fact, if you go back and read the Old Testament and it doesn't line up with Jesus, read it again. Yeah, but my Bible teacher, I don't care. Your Bible teacher isn't Jesus. It must line up with Jesus. Not what you thought, not what you think, not with your judicial justice ideas, But who Jesus is, what would Jesus do in that situation? He refused to stone her. Are you listening to me? He he refused to do it. He ain't going to do it. I don't care. Yeah, but what if the trumpet blows? He's still going to be the same. Well, I don't think that's fair. Didn't ask. Now, the story goes something like this. God, Adam. Adam has an ego issue. Adam doesn't really believe that he was made in the likeness and the image of God. He really has self-doubts, self-worth issues. He really believes that something's missing. How many of you got nine-year-olds who really think they're missing something? They're not missing anything. You just are not giving them the keys to the pickup yet. They are your child. They have everything they need to become everything you intended them to become, but they're just going to have to trust you and wait for you to mature in order to drive. Do I get one parent in here going, I got it. I got it. Do I get any 12 year olds going? I don't want to get it. Right. Okay. And so. Adam decides that he doesn't need to wait on God. So he goes over here and he gets an apple because he thinks if he gets an apple, he'll be more like the God that he already is. In other words, what happens is he becomes aware of a distinction between he and God. In God's mind, there's no distinction. But when you begin to compare yourself to anybody, suddenly it becomes about I and me and your individuality rather than us and we. And thus it's called the fall. It is not about sin. Sin is a result of fall. But it is the fall that has the problem. And now in this fallen state, the story you've been told goes something like this. Because you sinned, I turned my back. No, no, you fell. Have you ever been with somebody who falls? When someone falls, do you walk away? Well, if you're smart enough not to walk away, he's better than you. Guess what he did not do? He did not walk away. I know I'm playing with your subconscious theological mess. God went out here and followed Adam and said, Look, I'll cover it for you. I got it covered. And he covers Adam with the skins of an animal. And then he tells Adam, I got a way, I'll figure this. I got a way. I had a plan before the foundation of the world. Before you ever breathed a life, I chose you before you ever knew there was a me. Your hunger for something I foresaw. I foresaw your fallen nature and I've already made a plan for your fallen nature. Your eating the cookie jar does not surprise me. I'm already ahead of you. I already got this taken care of. Am I angering anybody yet? So he said, I'm going to have to put you out here for a little while, but I got a plan that I'm working on. And then, then dummy out there gets jealous of his brother named Abel and Cain kills Abel. That's called murder. When you take the life of another, that's called murder. That's pretty serious, right? Doesn't get much more serious than that. It's called murder. And guess what God does? God doesn't go, holy smokes, this is just going to be more difficult than I thought. No, 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 no. No, God goes out there and and says, so what's up? And he goes, I'm afraid. I'm guilty. I killed my brother. And, And God says, it's all right. Let me put a mark on you. Now then no one's going to be able to touch you, no one's going to be kill you because I blessed you. You blessed a murderer? Amen. This ought to give you a clue. He did what? He blessed a murderer. And if you just fast forward down through there, he chooses this guy by the name of Abraham. He says, Abraham, if you leave your father's family, if you go out here and if you do this, I'm going to make you have a child and, and you're going to be blessed and you have stars and moons and it's just, just going to be wonderful. And Abraham gets to be about 86 and he's tired of waiting on having fun. So he decides to sleep with his, his wife's handmaiden and he makes a baby on his own. You adultering, sinning, silly. Why didn't you trust me and just, just wait on me? But but I tell you what Abraham, I'll take care of your I'll take care of your wayward son and you're, you're going to be shocked because at 99 you're going to get excited and at 90 your wife's going to like it and, and you're going to have another child and I'm still going to keep my promise. Some of you are going what? I know it's better than Game of Thrones. And, and you've been watching, haven't you? And and he keeps using Abraham, and then you know then there's that dude, my God, there's that dude down there called David, and David we brought David in out of the out of the sheep yard, and Jonathan gave his life for him, and David's got all the power to kill every philistine in the world, and he's got built houses and then and he's got armies and and wives and all kinds of stuff and he He looked over into the hot tub and he saw Bathsheba in a hot tub and Bathsheba was a Sheba in the hot tub. So he sleeps with Bathsheba and she gets pregnant and he doesn't know what he's going to do. So then, then he decides to kill his friend Uriah. So now he's killed Uriah because he's got Bathsheba in a hot tub and she's with child. That's not good. That's not good. How many you feeling better about yourself yet? Yeah. But guess what God does? God comes over here. See, when everybody starts talking about how there's no grace in the Old Testament, I want to say, what book have you been reading? And, and he goes, look, David, we're going, we're going to fix this. And David said, Oh, forgive me. I've repented. And he goes, I forgive you. And you're going to. In fact, out of your seed is going to come my son. Mm. And my son is going to be called the son of David. Man, that's better. Are you getting this? Mm. Hmm. Hmm. If you only knew what I had, you'd ask of me and I'd give you a drink. She said, Who the heck are you? He said, well, I'm the one that knows you got five husbands and the one you're sleeping with, wow. Zacchaeus, you're a tax collector and a sinner. You've wronged everybody in town, but I'm going to go home with you. So you sell it, huh? They got stones. They're going to throw at you and kill you. It's all right. I'll send them away. So you got demons. How many you got? I don't know. A bunch. I'll get rid of them. You do see the differences in the stories. You fall. God turns his back. That's the story. And then eventually God comes, and you're dead, and I'll be dead with you, and then I'll come back to life, and someday when you're not dead, it'll be okay. And for those of you who are alive and remain, you're here now living in Hutchinson in 2019. If you don't sin... But if you sin, good luck on your sorry behind. And if you do come back and repent, we're going to tell you what you got to do in order to be able... Are you getting the twistedness of this yet? For the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to all who believe. Well, do you believe this? Or do you believe... that. See, see, why you believe is a bit important. How you believe it works is fundamental and many people today see that cross that set there last Sunday and all they see is a transaction taking place and him being beaten and him being scarred and a transaction took place and the evil father God was satisfied. And because this evil God was satisfied now we got grace and we're I don't want to take that away from anybody but I want to suggest to you that what God did on the cross was more than bleed what I want to suggest is that God was on the cross and he was absorbing every accusation every sin every hurled curse And that God was taking every bit of the stupid stuff of the old and the stupid stuff of the new, and he's saying, I'm gonna show you what God is really like. God is not condemning, God is not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. God is, I'll take my eye for your eye, I'll take my back for your back. My judgment is, you're forgiven. My judgment is is I love you today, tomorrow and forever. My judgment is that it is finished. Now you take up your cross and you walk through the world forgiving those that spit on you, forgiving those that hate you, doing unto the least of them, turning the other cheek. You follow me and you live this. That is the gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation. Church of America, you listen to me. You have bought into a lie that says it's all about who does right and who does wrong and that God's going to send you to hell if you don't do it the way I tell you to do it. Pastor, do you believe in a hell? Yes. Just not the one you're sending everybody to. In fact, if you look very hard at it, God was out there in the backside of a desert waiting on Moses to show up. If you think about it, God was over there in that fiery furnace before those three Hebrew boys ever got over in that fiery furnace. Fact: If you think about it, God was living in the belly of a whale long before Jonah decided that he might not go to Nineveh. I mean, if you're getting this, you realize that maybe God was waiting over there in the pit and the prison. Before anybody ever thought of selling Joseph into slavery, and then he, when he showed up, God knew how to take him out of slavery. Or you, you could say that God was already ahead. I'm not making any sense. That God was already out there in the field just waiting for Ruth to show up so that he could glean a harvest and provide every need that she you might say God was already waiting on the road to Emmaus when the other two come walking by. Could I suggest to you that God is not chasing you, but He's already ahead of you, and He knows what you're going to be tempted with. He knows what you're going to face. He knows, Paul, I'm here to tell you that you're going to suffer many things, but God is out there in front of you. And Paul, when they get ready to slay you and stone you and do whatever they do to you, I'll already be waiting on you. And my grace will be sufficient for you. And there's nothing that will take me by surprise. Because if the enemy can make a plan for you, I made a bigger plan for you from the foundation of the world. And I promised you I'd never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. And by the way, when he said it, you were all sinners. He said that to every human being who would have the sense to go, Oh, my God. What are you doing here? Well, I thought I was running from you. And you are you met me here? You've been waiting for me? I thought I was trying to get... But do you know what I have done? Do you know how bad I've, I have cursed you? I have not trusted you. But why would you come out here and get in front of... Oh, let's go ahead, church. Let's preach about how bad that sin is, how bad that group is, how bad that group is. Let's go ahead, church. Let's make it famous about who we're against because the minute we do that, we're against God. Now, I've gotten too old to care what you think. I just know that you got to respect the gospel. I know that you got to go back and take a second look at the gospel, and that it's about the way we love one another, the way we forgive one another. I know that it was us hurling those accusations. It was us despising him. It was us doing that. It wasn't God. I know that God stood there, hung there, and that his judgment is, my mercy endureth forever. I know that it was God saying, I am fed up with your sacrifices. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. I know it was God hanging there going, my mercy will triumph over your judgment. Are you listening to me? Everybody that's cautioning everybody about the judgment that yet lies ahead. Listen, live today in his mercy and there is no sting in the judgment that lies ahead. This gospel must be preached. This gospel today must be preached in the face of others who are preaching a gospel of control. A gospel of condemnation. A gospel that leaves people shaking their head. This is the gospel that comes from the cross. This is the gospel that will save our sons and our daughters. This is the gospel that people will return to and find hope and faith And peace in. Say, Pastor, where did you learn this gospel? I was 17 years old. I thought nobody loved me. I was convinced that there was no hope. I had contemplated several things. Doesn't matter much what those details are. Except that at 17, I got in a Chevy Vega. That was hell. Hell. and I drove from Severy, Kansas to Buford, South Carolina because I had a cousin there, and I thought I could join the Marines and get away from everything. I drove all night, and I got into Buford about midnight, 1 o'clock, and my cousin opened the door, and he had a couch, and he put me on that couch, and I laid down, and I fell asleep. All I'd had was those apple pies used to buy, and yeah. Coats. and I went to sleep on that couch woke up the next morning and I could hear a voice you ever been able to hear a voice people tell me all the time they can't hear God yeah you can you just don't instantly recognize it and I could hear that voice and I knew that voice coming from the kitchen I sat up on side of that couch I didn't know what to do like a whole world was I heard him walk in the room. You ever had somebody walk in a room and you just knew? And I could hear this movement, this chair. My dad sat down in that chair. He reached out and put his hands right there. You sit there. I said, Daddy, are you going to say anything? He said, I'm here, son. That says it all. My understanding of the real gospel began that day. Took me years. Because if my father knows how to give good gifts to his son, How much more. Now you may not have been raised with the man I was raised with. And I apologize to you. But I tell you, you have a heavenly father. And that heavenly father does not turn his back on you. That heavenly father doesn't just chase you down. That heavenly father already knows where you're at. And he'll get right in front of you. I wish I could tell the story about how we got in that little car and drove all the way back to Kansas and how my life changed and it was roses and turtle doves. It wasn't. We still had to work through a lot of things. In like fact, some of it we had to work through for years. Some of it I'm still living with the residuals of. But I'd have never been able to live with it if my dad hadn't came from heaven to earth. To a cross took that pain listen that, that can be reduced to a transaction that happened on the hills of Galgotha 2,000 years ago but what cannot be reduced to a transaction is that every day of my life I get up and it looks like mama's had a stroke and here's God every day of my life I get up and they tell me that baby's going to die and God shows up. Or they tell me that Sean's got cancer, and God shows up. Or they tell me that Amy has died, and God shows up. Or they tell me that there's no way that's ever gonna... I'm not living because of a transaction on a hill far away. I'm living... Because I'm being transformed day by day by the presence of a God that shows up in the good and the bad and the ugly and always takes my hand and says, I'm here, aren't I? I don't know where all of you are from, but if you think you're going to learn a formula and go back and put it to use, you wasted your money. But if you came, to find a God that is with you always, at all times, with all people, then Pete's done a great job. And if you came this morning thinking that it's always going to be good, it's not. But I'm going to tell you it's always wonderful and glorious because you're never alone. For I am not ashamed. The gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He would write to the Ephesians and say, It's a glorious gospel. Blessings. Oh, say with me God is like Jesus, God is love. God's everlasting, never changes. I've never tried to do this all at once, but I'm going to try to do it. Say with me, God is spirit. Here's where many theologies will leave me. It's to your advantage if I go away. If I go away, I'll send another friend, another helper to you spirit of christ will come and get on the inside of you right i mean there's somebody inside of you and out of your belly and from the beginning adam had struggles thinking he was like god he was a living soul but jesus came to make us a life-giving spirit and the spirit of god will begin to work on the inside from the inside out. Nothing this world has to offer will fix it. But in a transforming way, take about 60, 70 years probably. Take some time. Take some misunderstanding. The Holy Spirit will begin to operate in your life. And slowly, You'll begin to look in the mirror and you'll begin to see Daddy's eyes. Slowly, as we are transformed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was like God, they'll look at this church that loves one another, forgives one another, cares for the poor and the needy and the sick, stands for justice fairness isn't involved in things of this world oh i'm getting picky now i just i'm really i'm kind of you know about 30 percent there but i just need to keep working on myself i'm better than a lot of other people but every once in a while i just see shadows of that former self and i i have to I'm never quite satisfied with just being okay. I think I, just another code or two. And there'll come a day that when they've seen you, they've seen the Father. That's the gospel according to chairs. That's the beautiful gospel, the glorious gospel. It's not a transactional gospel. It's a transformation gospel. It happens every day. It works in every life. Somebody asked me today, why do you still pastor here? Why are you still here? Because I see people getting changed day by day by day by day. Look at you and think, oh, you've been doing some painting. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Father's House. We hope you stay connected by following us online at fathershouse.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using TFHHutch.